Welcome to Candid Catholic Convos, a program brought to you by the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Our mission is to humanize the church and help you to grow in your faith, love, and understanding. I'm your host, Rachel Trochet, a cradle Catholic who's only human and struggled with faith on more than one occasion. Each week, you'll hear engaging, down-to-earth interviews and actionable strategies you can implement into your life with ease to help you grow closer to God. If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Candid Catholic Convos. This episode is part three of our brand new series focusing on the Eucharistic Revival. And every couple weeks, you'll get to hear another episode with more interesting facts and experiences. Now, if you're listening to this wondering, what is a Eucharistic Revival? Don't worry, you're not alone. The Eucharistic Revival is a nationwide grassroots initiative by the USCCB and Catholics to restore understanding and devotion to the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. If you've seen the news or ventured out into your community, it's easy to see that the world is hurting. We need healing. We need hope. We need strength. And the Eucharist offers all of that. This national response to the Lord's call began on June 19, 2022, the Feast of Corpus Christi, and will continue all the way until Pentecost 2025. There's a ton of great info and resources on eucharisticrevival.org, but today we're going to be talking about how you, right here, right now, can fall deeply in love with the Eucharist. Today we're chatting with Father Richard Lyons of Annunciation of the Blessed Virgin Mary Parish in McSherrystown about the tradition and mystery of a Eucharistic procession. If you have any questions about the Eucharist you would like to have answered by one of our priests, be sure to send us a message on social media or our website, and we'll try to get it answered throughout the series. Father Lyons, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to get your thoughts on a Eucharistic procession and what kind of goes into it. Could you start by just telling me a little bit about yourself? Sure. So thank you for having me. Glad to be here. So my name is Father Richard Lyons, not to be confused with Father Jim Lyons, or as they call us here, Father Lyons the Greater and Father Lyons the Lesser. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm actually from Westminster, Maryland, so I'm actually now about half an hour from home as opposed to my previous summit where I was over an hour away. I grew up there, uh, did high school there. Um, I came into the diocese through college, having gone through Millersville University. And then uh, right after graduating, I entered seminary and did all six years at St. Charles Seminary in Philadelphia. I was ordained in 2018, and then my first three years as a priest, I was assigned to Corpus Christi in Chambersburg. And I've uh, been here at Annunciation for the last year, year and a half. That's awesome. So you kind of, you kind of came in right when the world started coming down, you know, 2018, yes. 2019, 2020 was interesting. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we, we actually, uh, my classmates and I joke saying that, like, how many other classes will be able to say uh, they've gone through as many things as my class has since we've been ordained. Yeah, it's been definitely a, a roller coaster of a ride, to say the least. Yeah, they don't they don't put that in the books at seminary, no. I don't think. No. <laughs> so this episode is actually part of a series on the Eucharist around the Eucharistic revival that we're currently in. 
And I've heard a lot of people talk about having truly transformative experiences when they've received the Eucharist at some point in their lives. Have you ever had an experience with the Eucharist that changed you? I wouldn't say it necessarily changed me in that uh, personal sense and like in that it was what led to a conversion or anything like that. But definitely I've had some transformative experiences that have just helped deepen and even just make real and tangible the the truth of the uh, Eucharist. So the one that I probably referred to the most was uh, my second summer as a seminarian, I was assigned to IPF, Institute of Priestly Formation in Nebraska. And while we were out there, uh, the program took a field trip to Boys Town, which is a historic orphanage on the other side of Lincoln, Nebraska from, or Omaha, Nebraska, I'm sorry, uh, from where we're at. And uh, we were touring the campus and we got tours of the two chapels. They have a Catholic chapel and a a multi-denominational Protestant chapel. And um, as I walked into the Catholic chapel, it felt like home, felt like any other Catholic church that I've been in, that warm, homey, at-home feeling. Uh, As we then switched over to the Protestant chapel, it didn't feel the same at all. Now, it could have been the aesthetic. Like, there was a clear difference in decoration of one versus the other. The Catholic chapel was traditional, was artistic, very beautiful. The Protestant chapel was very bare and minimum. Basically, the only decorations in the whole place were the flags representing each different denomination. So it might have been partly that. But I I, I think the biggest part was just the re- recognition of the lack of the presence of our Lord in the Eucharist. And this is backed by being to other churches where the sacrament is not proposed in that church. You can feel a substantial difference from a church that has the presence of our Lord in the Eucharist versus one that has it either removed or just absent altogether. Even just this morning, I was celebrating Mass at one of our senior residences uh, here in McSherrystown, and we celebrate in their common space. You can just feel the difference in the atmosphere between that versus the church or even our adoration chapel here. Uh, There is that substantial difference. And for me, that's been a cherished memory because it really reaffirmed for me the the reality of the Eucharist, that it's not just a symbol, that it's not just a representation, but it is a true reality of our Lord physically present there in in our midst. That's very true. And I, I never really, I don't think noticed that before, but you're right. Like when you walk into a church, you just feel different versus walking into any other kind of common space. And that was brought up in one of our previous episodes by Meg Hunter Kilmer. She's a a traveling Catholic speaker and blogger and she lives on the road. So she doesn't have like a home per se, but she said she goes to mass daily and that's her home. Like that's where she feels most at home. And I was hearing you say that it just kind of clicks that like, yeah, that makes sense because it's the only place that Jesus really is. Yeah. I mean, we've got those Catholic jokes that we like to make all the time about like, you can always tell Catholics from uh, non-Catholics going to the movies by who genuflects going into the seats and whatnot. I've definitely Um, done that (laughs) by accident. Okay. I'm sure it's common enough to where the people are making those jokes. I've never really had that experience, but I could still say that I felt that difference. Like, a Catholic church versus a Protestant church or a Catholic church versus any other gathering space that's being used for worship or even like going to the Steubenville conferences when I was in high school, they would have for space purposes because you can't fit out the 5,000 kids anywhere else. 
they use the gym for their for the conferences and for mass. You can feel the difference uh, of that versus being in the actual chapel where they have the tabernacle and our Lord reposed there. Absolutely. We were talking about the differences between the churches. In many other churches, the idea of the Eucharist is considered merely a symbol of Christ, whereas for Catholics, it's the true presence of Christ. So for those who aren't Catholic or maybe they're in the process of becoming Catholic and receiving the sacraments for the first time, how would you explain to them what the Eucharist is? The analogy that I usually fall back on to try to explain how the change takes place, because we have to admit that the there is no visible change that takes place. Only in those extraordinary, exceptional circumstances do you see the visible change take place. And Carlo Cutis is being hailed as like helping to kind of bring those to the forefront of people's attention. But in the ordinary circumstances, that doesn't take place. The analogy I fall back on usually is if you look if you look back on your own life, when you were a kid, did you look the same as you do now, then versus now? No, you but at the end of the day, you are still you. Like it's the same you now as you were back then. Maybe some of your tastes have changed, you've matured a bit but it's still fundamentally you. With the Eucharist, it's the other way around. The physical appearance stays the same, but the inner reality of who and what is present there, the bread versus the uh, Jesus, that's what changes. Um, and that seems to help connect with a lot of people and trying to explain that change. It's still something that people can still struggle with to uh, connect with. So there's, a, am sure, a, a number of different analogies out there, but I've found that that growing uh, analogy of going from kid to adult helps a lot of people. Right. That makes a lot of sense because like you were saying, you, you can see the physical changes. Like we get taller, our hair gets longer or we grow facial hair or anything like that versus with the Eucharist, we can't witness any physical changes, but there are changes happening so that that does make a lot of sense but nonetheless god still does give us those occasions those signs to try to validate what the church teaches and for those who are struggling to accept it and so um for anyone who might be listening to this that is in that boat of struggling to accept what the church teaches whether catholic or not um or in that in-between process i would recommend looking into carl acutis and what he was dedicating his life to re, uh, learning about, which are the ex, uh, Eucharistic miracles. Um, every Eucharist is a miracle, yes, but um, he was dedicating his time to documenting those extraordinary miracles where the Eucharist takes on the appearance of flesh and blood, not just the substantial reality of it. We call Sometimes we call these bleeding hosts. Um, other times we have other nicknames for them. But Carlo Cutis is a new blessed on his way to becoming a saint, God willing. Um, and he spent his time documenting all those moments throughout history, going all the way back to even the medieval era of God giving these miracles to verify that, yes, what the church teaches is the reality of what Jesus himself established and taught. He's He was 15, wasn't he? Or he was very young. Is he, is he 14, 15? Yeah. I'm blanking on the exact age, but yeah, he... He's being hailed as the first millennial. Uh, yes. And I, I joke with the kids to try to draw their attention to how substantial a change or how big a deal that is. That like 
Um, so I joke with them saying that uh, thanks to Carlo Acutis, we now have an Xbox that is our uh, second class relic or a PC that is a second class relic. That's so. insane. I hadn't thought about it like that, but you're right. It really gives because when you talk about the saints, especially for me when I was a kid or when I was picking my confirmation saint, like they just seem so distant. Like they lived at this time that you can't even fathom not having a telephone or a car or anything. And they lived at such like extreme measures. So to be able to have somebody who's like lived in this century and, you know, did the same kind of things that we like to do, like that really gives a tangible face for yeah, or even his... the ones that did live in our time, like John Paul II, mm-hmm. Mother Teresa, they're so their lives are so different from our own sometimes. Like who can really relate to the Pope necessarily? Who can relate to Mother Teresa? But Carlo Acutis being that kid, it helps make it a lot more connectable, relatable uh, for uh, younger Catholics today. Absolutely. I understand your parish recently participated in a Eucharistic procession. Talk to me about that for a minute. What is a Eucharistic procession and why do we do it? So just to get into like what we actually did. So uh, this was actually Father Reed's idea, Father Michael Reed, the pastor of St. Vincent's in Hanover. In recognition of the year of the Eucharistic revival, he was like, why don't we do a procession? We do have some precedent for that here in the Hanover McSherry Sound community, but it's been 20 years since the last time it was done. Oh, wow. Uh, and that, that procession had been from Annunciation to the Basilica of the Sacred Heart just up the road. When he made that suggestion to our deanery, um, I wrote back to him suggesting it might be easier and better, all things considered, to maybe go from St. Vincent's to here rather than from here to Sacred Heart. So given they're the same distance, but going from St. Vincent here wouldn't necessarily require shutting down an entire road and a country road at that where we don't have that visibility. And it would be a way of ending at our adoration chapel. We have a, um, our deanery adoration chapel is here at Annunciation. So we'd be able to just conclude by repro- proposing the sacrament in the adoration chapel and just starting adoration right up again from there. So that, that's a little bit of what we did. And the distance was basically the same uh, between both locations, so about a mile and a half, give or take. So, um, But what a procession is in itself is um, everything about our faith as Catholics is the physical helps manifest what's taking place in the spiritual. So a sacrament itself, for example, is a visible sign that points to an invisible grace or an invisible reality. A procession is kind of along the same lines we're manifesting in a sacramental way what we're ultimately doing in our lives as Christians in the spiritual sense by following Christ as he leads us down the path um, to our heavenly homeland. In a procession, we're manifesting that physically by following the Eucharist, following our Lord in the Eucharist from one destination to another. Um, So in this case, we were going from St. Vincent's, processing through um, the Hanover and McSherry Sound areas to our Adoration Chapel, following our Lord. And if you see the pictures that uh, will be in the witness uh, week, two weeks, you'll see uh, 50 or 60 people uh, following behind Father Reed and Father Rutan carrying the Blessed Sacrament through the streets. So that, that's effectively like the idea behind the procession. You mentioned Adoration. What's the difference between that and Adoration? Well, uh, I guess the most obvious difference is adoration, you're not moving. 
um, other than the moving from kneeling to sitting. Um, adoration, you're in a state of deliberate prayer. The term adoration itself is a reference to prayer. That's not to say we're not praying during a procession, but the idea, the goal behind the two forms of prayer are different. So adoration would be more akin to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, where we're in that time of prayer. Jesus is in the garden alone, praying to his father. He's encouraging his disciples to spend uh, that hour or multiple hours with him. And so you're just one-on-one FaceTime with Jesus. It's effectively how I compare adoration. The procession is more a specific purpose is in mind. You're moving with the Eucharist from location to location. Um, so it is still an act of prayer, but it's a different purpose or goal to that prayer. So more akin to like a pilgrimage, would you say? Yeah, that, that would be another good way of looking at it. But even then, a pilgrimage, you're going to a, it's more about the destination itself. The procession is more about the journey itself. Gotcha. So um, we hear that all the time in movies and TV and stuff like that. Make it about the journey, not the destination. Well, a pilgrimage is about the destination. The procession is about the journey itself. That makes a lot of sense. So I've personally never been a part of a procession. And you talked about this a little bit, but let's say somebody wants to go to their first procession. What can they expect when they show up? So with ours, what we had was we had about 50 or 60 people. We started with daytime prayer, which is part of the liturgy of the hours. And um, we can come back to that if you wanted. (laughs) It's a whole different topic, basically. Um, And then we segued right into the procession. And um, we were generally advising people to wear their walking shoes as opposed to like formal shoes or anything. It is a bit of a distance. It it really was a beautiful journey to be able to hear that we had a mobile choir helping us with the chants and the music throughout and to be able to be able to connect more spiritually to the prayer aspect of the procession. But I, I would say akin to any form of prayer or liturgy, it does require that uh, disposition, that uh, initiative to enter into it as a form of prayer, that we're praying through the procession. It's not just something, it's not a parade where you're just walking down the street. That's a form of prayer to enter into. So if, if another parish were to try to arrange something like this, that would be my first suggestion to the participants to not see it as simply a parade, of, like a Catholic parade going through your town, though it can certainly seem like that on the surface but um, try to enter it into it in the same way you enter into Mass, by praying through the procession, whether that means praying the rosary or chanting along with the music or some other form of prayer. Typically, if a wedding or a funeral or another religious occasion happens in a church, those who aren't Catholic can't receive communion. Does this sort of thing apply for Eucharistic processions as well, or can those who aren't Catholic also participate? No. So uh, non-Catholics can participate, and same with the Mass as a whole. Like, um, you can still be present at Mass as a non-Catholic, as you highlighted with funerals and weddings and other occasions. So even for Sunday Mass, you can, if you're not Catholic, you can still come and join in and participate. But commu- the reception of Holy Communion is different because it's not just simply what you're receiving or who you're receiving. The act of receiving it itself has significance too. That's why we call the sacrament itself the Eucharist, but the act of receiving the sacrament is called communion. They highlight two different aspects of the sacrament. 
So the sacrament is the Eucharist. That is the gift that Jesus established as his body, blood, soul, and divinity given in the form of bread and wine. But the act of receiving it is called communion. That word communion means communio, to be in union with. So when you receive communion, you're entering into that communion of heart, mind, body, and soul. If you haven't yet been brought into the church on that spiritual sacramental level, if you haven't expressed the same faith, then what are you communicating by receiving communion? Or even on a moral level, if you're a Catholic not in good standing because of mortal sin or something else, then are, uh, you're proclaiming a dis uh, disruption in that union by receiving Holy Communion. So that's why the church makes that point. I'm sure the catechism can probably phrase it much more effectively than I could, but that, that's really the heart of the matter is that the reception of the sacrament is called communion. And if we're not in that full union uh, morally, spiritually, etc., then it disrupts that sacramental sign of receiving that great gift of our Lord in the Eucharist. Right. It's kind of like, I think it was Father Bender who I spoke with described it like, like a relationship. There's an intimacy there that you wouldn't withhold something from your partner and then expect to still have a great relationship. Correct. That, that's another great way of putting it. And ultimately, that relationship aspect highlights the real reason why we uphold that rule. It's not seen as a punishment or a condemnation. It's seen as an invitation, something that should instill in the person a desire to enter into that union so that they can receive that gift. It's not meant to be the church being heavy-handed and strict and forceful, but it's meant to be something that shouldn't be inviting, something that should instill in the person a desire to receive what we're receiving. Right. And we don't want you to take, we don't want you to lie and take part and say, yes, I believe in this just so you can, you know, be a part of the club. It's no, we want you to actually believe what you're saying. Exactly. And uh, to look into and consider like, do I want this for myself? Do I want to pursue baptism? Do I want to pursue confirmation so that I can receive this great gift for myself? So I want to grow closer to Christ through that full sense of that relationship. So during a procession, those who aren't Catholic can participate because they're not physically receiving the Eucharist. Is that what I'm understanding? Correct. Yeah. In terms of the procession, yeah, uh, that that's really the difference is that because you're not receiving the sacrament yourself, you're adoring Christ in the sacrament um, and following him on that journey. There, There's... Uh, nothing right or wrong about uh, joining in on that. Um, it's only when it comes to receiving the sacrament to yourself that that becomes something where the church actually has rules and guidance on it. Father Reed and I mentioned when talking to the witness about it, our desire with doing the procession in the first place was post-COVID, we've been seeing a lot of people uh, struggling to reform that habit of coming back to Mass. We've been seeing a lot of people asking um, about joining the church and stuff like that. So our hope with having this procession in the first place was an, um, an encouragement to both those Catholics who have not yet come back to Mass, as well as those non-Catholics who may be wondering about the, the church, giving them both that public witness of this is what we believe and this is what you're welcome to come join um, or come back to um, in order to receive that full fullness of the relationship with Christ. That's fantastic. That's a great idea. The only time I'd ever really heard about a procession before was like maybe on Holy Thursday or on Corpus Christi. So the bigger holy days. But it seems like the Eucharistic revival is kind of getting people wanting to, ha to have more of these. 
Is there a guidance on how many, like, are they only supposed to be on holy days? Was yours planned on a, on a holy day or was it just, this is a great idea? And like, are there any rules kind of governing when you can have a Eucharistic possession? Not that I'm aware of in the sense that like you can only have them on certain days. There are days that are more desirable to have them on, such as, as you highlighted, Holy Thursday, Corpus Christi. Uh, Because of the nature of those feast days, they're more desirable to have on those days. And logistically, it's something that perhaps can't happen every Sunday. So that's why they're a bit more special occasion kind of things. But as far as I'm aware, and perhaps Father Brommer can jump in and correct me if I'm speaking on this, but um, there, to my knowledge, there's nothing restricting that short of days like Good Friday, Holy Saturday, um, there's no real restrictions as to like, thou shalt not have a procession on these days. I think the big reason why they're so uncommon is, again, there's a lot of logistics that go into it. So um, we did spend a couple months preparing for this. We had to get the permits from the borough. We had to figure out which boroughs we need permits for, too, because McSherry's Town required it. Hanover didn't. So that took some time to figure out. There's coordinating the music, both for the prayers before the procession and during the procession itself. There's keeping a track on the weather forecast, too. Like, um, are we going to be able to have the, uh, the procession, or is it going to be pouring down rain during that time? So a lot of the logistics make it challenging sometimes to have a procession. So having those set times of this is when it's preferable when it versus just any other occasion, uh, that helps contribute to the, the matter as well. Very cool. Yeah, I didn't realize all of that kind of prep went into it. Um, so that's really interesting to note. So what would you recommend for someone looking to grow more in love with the Eucharist? Father Michael Schmitz, or Father Mike Schmitz as he's more commonly known as, um, has a couple of great talks on uh, the Mass and the Eucharist. One that stands out to me in terms of that question would be that um, he highlights that the Mass isn't so much about what I get out of it. I mean, yes, there is stuff that we get out of the Mass, don't get me wrong, but the Mass is first and foremost about the sacrifice, what we give to the Mass. And so really at its heart, it's um, exchanging our heart for Christ. We give ourselves to Christ. We receive himself through the Eucharist into ourselves. So if we truly want to get more out of the Mass, more out of the Eucharist, then we have to look at ourselves and what are we giving to Christ? How much are ourselves are we truly giving to Christ? I'm sure uh, he's probably got several talks, so it's probably not going to be as easy as just simply Googling Father Mike Schmidt's The Eucharist. But a lot of them do still hit on that same point. So during this year of Eucharistic revival, I would offer the people, if they're looking for a way to grow in that love for the Eucharist and for our Lord, to start by doing an examination of ourselves and looking at what ways in which we can grow in that conversion Uh, Conversion is an ongoing, lifelong process. It's not just a once-and-done thing. So um, if we want to grow more in love with the Eucharist and more in love with our Lord, start by looking at how much of myself am I giving, how how much more of myself could I be giving, so as to receive more from Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation 
is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org slash DAC and clicking the make a donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.